For the past several weeks, we've been encountering John chapter 4, and we've been looking to Scripture to see a story unfolding. And today we'll, we'll see the very, very final message that, that, that speaks to these specific, specific narratives. And so I would have you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 and look to verse number 39. John chapter 4, verse number 39. And when you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. John chapter 4, verse number 39 reads this way. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritan had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture, we're always challenged to look a little deeper, to dig a little more, Lord, to embrace the truth in such a way that it will change us forever. I pray that as we have encountered already the reading of your word, that as we study it together, that we will find that we cannot leave here the same. I ask, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you've been with us the last several weeks, then you know the story, like I said, is unfolding. And one of the things that's happening is, is that Jesus has encountered a very specific individual. And in that encounter, he begins to dialogue with her. And life change begins to settle into her in a way that she cannot ever be the same. Because of it, she pursues a story where she goes back into her village and she tells people about Jesus. Once she does this, those individuals now have come out to meet Jesus. And as a result, the disciples who Jesus has been working on, who also were on an errand, come in and they're completely confused by what's, what's taking place. But the end result you'll see, after all the things and all the pieces settle out, the thing that remains is this really cool picture of transformation and belief, right? So sometimes the, the bit of coming to Jesus will make us a little uncertain about the world around us, but ultimately the belief and transformation that follow, it shores up all the uneasiness. And one of the things that I would have you look to with me when you look to scripture is verse number 39 says this, this key piece here. It says in verse number 39, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him. I want you to look at your neighbor and say many. Right. And if you're keeping notes and you're following along and, and when we give the notes on, on the screen, um, the first thing I want you to right. So now I want you to look at your neighbor and say many isn't all. The, the Bible is clear about this. Time and time again, it tells us that not all will come to Jesus. Not all will believe. We know this. That's hard medicine. That's hard truth. Some would proclaim to you in, 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 in an errant way would try to make it as though that there'll be a lasso effect at the end of, the, of, of time where God will just gather up all these people that rejected him. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there are gonna be those who believe and there's gonna be those who do not, but many isn't all, right? Because of this, this is something that the urgency is upon us. 
the, the measure of timing and the measure of our input is upon us because many isn't all. We need to do our part. Last week, you heard me talk about it. And I, I, I just went, I just sold out and just told you guys the truth that every single one of us has a role and a responsibility to play. And you're going to see why today, why that's so important. I hope that, that you're, you've been hanging on for the payoff because in this passage, you'll begin to see why everybody needs to play their role. It's important. And it's because of verse number 39. It says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed. That's why it's important. Well, let me ask you this question. If everybody does their part and everybody is, is fulfilling their God call in their life in order to do the thing that they're supposed to do, and, and as a result, we are impacting the biggest number of people we can impact with the most meaningful relationships and most meaningful interactions, it doesn't say all. It says many. Well, imagine if we don't fulfill that calling. Imagine if we don't live up to that expectation. Imagine if we don't do our part. It'll be less, won't it? I mean, in my estimation, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. Now, now I, I'm not saying, and we're going to see it here. It's going to unfold that you can't save anyone. So that's the next thing I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you can't save a soul. But I need you to hear me very clearly. Your role in this narrative matters. If it were not so, these scriptures would not be here. Your responsibility to this story matters. Let's find out why. It says here, because. Whenever you see a because, you have to find out why it's there. And so you see this picture here. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. That's why they believed. Because she testified. Because she was willing to stand in the middle of the community and say, there's a guy that I met who absolutely knows everything there is to know about me. I, I thought he was a prophet, and I learned that he's the Messiah. Come and see him. That's the reason that they come to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but we have some really cool things that happen at Crossroads. We have some really neat ministries that we, that we are doing here. And there are some really vibrant things that are, that, are just, that are just super important, right? Our connect groups, wow. There is literally a class intentionally for every single age group. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Biggest effect we can have, right? Did you know there's a group of people that make sure that the, that the that the facility stays safe. There's a security group that's working. There's a group of people that volunteers to drive kids to and from church. There's a group of people that rides with those group of people who drive to help manage those kids on the, on the vans. There's a group of people that show up on Wednesday night to cook and to clean up and to help. There's a group of people who are dedicated to leading worship on Sunday mornings. I mean, there's more than that, by the way people dedicated to the financial responsibilities and, and, of course, your staff, which are part of the thing, people who run the sound and, and their ushers that, that come and there are guys who, who have given their life and their calling to, to serve as deacons. And, and, I mean, there's so many different roles here, right? And yet, there's still room for every single person in here to do something so that people could hear 
and as a result, become engaged with the gospel and Jesus because of the testimony of somebody else. That's pretty important, isn't it? It's pretty important to begin to realize that you have a God-given responsibility to share this message with someone else so that they might become engaged. The because of the word of the woman who testified. I, I don't know about you, but uh, the question I, that begs asking and one that I think that you have to answer is, is what is your testimony? I, I know from a matter of personal experience and from professional expertise, if, if I can call myself an expert in anything, that some of you are scared to death of doing some of the things I just described. Some of you were like, Brother Ben, do not ask me to knock on someone's door and invite them to church. And, and you know, I would say, if that's you, raise your hand, and then most of you that are too scared to knock on somebody's door would also not raise your hand. Right? You don't want to be identified by anybody in any capacity. You're thinking to yourself, do not ask me to share my faith. It scares me, right? Well, I got good news for you. Not every testimony is, is the, the, the testimony of an evangelist knocking on somebody else's door. Sometimes the testimony is about you serving in a role in the church that just testifies to God's goodness and his glory, and, and it's so profound. I'm in a class teaching English as a second language all the way across the globe in Belarus a number of summers ago. And one of the questions that is repeated to me over the course of the time I'm there, I'm there for about a week and I'm teaching three or four different classes a day depending on which trip I'm talking about. I've done this a couple of different times. And one of the questions that pops up over and over again is, why would you do this? We gave these classes away for free. We set them up. We taught good English to people who, who, who wanted to learn conversational English. And they'd say, well, why did you do this? And I'm always like, I'm so glad you asked. Because we're not allowed to talk about Jesus. I mean, former Soviet bloc, very communist feeling. You know, they would say, you know, that they're X, Y, and Z, but the actual practice is a little scarier. But when they ask me, I can say, because my friend who invited me into a life-changing relationship gave me an opportunity to know a life beyond my own and to understand how to serve other people and to give them something that they desperately want so that I can offer them something that they desperately need. You see, we give kids a ride to church because it's something that they want. But in return, we get to offer them the gospel, which is something they desperately need. We make the building safe so that the people that come here get something that they want, which is maybe fellowship with other believers and maybe it's an opportunity to, to find peers in their own setting or maybe it's an opportunity to be a part of something bigger. But we can offer them something they need, which is hope that comes only from the gospel. We can introduce them into a relationship with Jesus and it's something that they desperately need and they don't even know they need it. You see how this begins to work together? And all these important pieces? You know, I will tell you that in my narrative, in my story, that it's really something, and she has no idea I'm going to embarrass her this morning, but I'm going to embarrass my sister who's here. And she's like, oh, no. You see, when I was young and I was a teenager, my sister and my older brother, they were faithful in the church that, that they, they went to, and she would ask me re just relentlessly, you going to go to church with us? You know what I said to her? Nah, go ahead. Have a good time. And then I got a little older and I got a job and then it was like, boss says, what days can you work? And I said, I can work on Sundays. That way when she would ask me because she was relentless, I could say, I have to work. 
I can't think of anybody that I've ever met in my whole life that has ever intentionally built in an obstacle that has to keep them from coming to church. Oh, wait, that's sarcasm. There are lots of people in the world that intentionally will take the shift or do the job or make the task or the responsibility and it will preclude them from being able to come up close to God because they are scared of what might happen if they actually go and face him. I see this in my life. My sister was relentless and her story is not the story of the woman at the well but her testimony was equally as strong and powerful in my life. Because about the time that I had wore her out on asking and she finally was like, well, I just figured that it was no good anymore, don't ask anymore. I began to realize that my life was hopeless and that I needed God in a way that I was inside dying a little bit every day saying, I just hope she'll ask me to go to church with her. Because I didn't know I felt welcomed without an invitation. And there are people in our community and our families that are saying the same thing. And you, you ask them for months and weeks and years and they told you no and you finally gave up. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor, do not give up. Because inside somebody is crying out saying, I just wish somebody would invite me. Most people are scared to come to church. Did you know that? And our digital door that we let people come through is the website that we have has to be on point because people will visit us online before they will ever visit us in person. And there's somebody probably watching us this morning that is scared to death of coming here because they don't really know you. They maybe know you, but they don't know you. And they don't know how they'll be accepted and they don't know that we will do everything in our power to love them and embrace them. Because we stopped inviting people. Here's a little bit of advice, practical stuff, and I know that I'm being real, like lots of application this morning and not a lot of scriptural explanation, but we're going to get to more in just a moment. If you ever invite somebody to church, number one, invite them on a Sunday, you're going to be there. If you can't say amen, okay? Number two, Tell them which door to go to that you'll meet them there at what time and then be with them when they're at church. I'll save a spot for you. We can sit together and afterwards we can talk about everything that happened at church if you want to talk about it. Transformative. Why? Because you take somebody that's a little uncomfortable about a new thing and you don't say, hey, just join us at church on Sunday. And you say, man, I invited somebody and you feel pretty good about it. But in their mind, they're thinking, okay, so what time does it start and where do I go and who do I sit with? And, and then they get the courage to maybe think about doing it and they watch us online for a couple Sundays and then, and then all their nervousness comes in and they're like, I don't know. So you'll say, I'm going to invite you to church, but I'm going to follow that. Right? And you say, I already told you. I know some of you are thinking to yourself, Brother Ben, do not ask me to do that. It scares me. So you can serve in the kitchen. You can ride on the vans. You can help with security. You could help count the offering. You could help run sound. You could help. Man, it just seems like there's just an infinite amount of possibilities, ways that we could find creative things. You could think of something that we don't think of. And Brother Ben is here to equip you and empower you as long as it's biblical and as long as it lines up with the, with the purpose of this organization, you know, the answer will be most likely we're going to work on making that true and possible and absolutely a thing. Why? Because we don't always know as, our, as your team that we've assembled to be, to be staff members here, we don't always know what God has in store. God might have given you a vision to do something powerful here. And it's our responsibility to make sure it's biblical and then empower you to do it to equip you to do it. 
That's what it says in Philippians. That's what it tells us we're supposed to do. Don't worry, I'm going to preach on that in the future. Don't worry. You'll get more on that. Well, as a result, we see this picture. And what is the thing we ultimately learn because of this? Your testimony matters here. Your testimony is indispensable in this place. In your community, you have a testimony. And people will look at you just like they looked at me and they'll say, why did you fly halfway across the world? Why did you pay for a plane ticket? Why did you pay for all the ministry expenses for you to be here? And they didn't know they were ministry expenses, but they will say, why did you do that? Just the same way they'll say, why do you go up to the church every single Wednesday and get on that van? And you'll say, because I met a man who changed my life. And you won't be talking about one of the staff people at this church. You'll be talking about your Savior. You'll say, I met a creator who cares about me enough that he would send his son to die for me. And people will be like, that sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. And you'll say, come and see. Just like she said. And your testimony is indispensable. It's not the whole story, but your testimony matters. And you'll say, people will say, why do you, why do you show up early to practice that music? Because I want you to know that God cares and we're going to play that music. And we're going to do it right and well and it's going to be a testimony. People say, why do you stand at the door and welcome people into church? You know, sometimes my family, you know, at times over the course of my life, once I got serious and once my sister eventually realized, because one time I asked her and I told you I was going to embarrass her, I said, why don't you ask me anymore? And she goes, well, I just thought you were busy. And inside I was like, man, I'm not that busy. And man, in my life changed forever when I finally got back to going. And it's amazing that the testimony of my own siblings mattered. Well, we get to this picture, and, and her testimony to them was, he told me all that I ever did. Verse number 40 says, so when the Samaritan, Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And then in verse 41, it says, and many more. Everybody say many more. Believe because of his own word. And there's this beautiful picture. Many believe because of her testimony. And then many more believe because of him. And so you think that inviting one person is the win. And I'd say to you as your pastor, it is the starting place of the journey. The win is when they start inviting people. I'll never forget it. I was, I was at one of the, the convention meetings when I was in Missouri, and I want to say it was Carson. Um, D.A. Carson and Douglas Moo, famous writers. Man, and most of what he said, and, and these guys are brilliant minds. New Testament scholars, great, great, great minds. But I will tell you, um, he tells a story, and, and I know that it, it, it just overwhelmed me when I heard it, and I, I might be quoting the wrong source, but, but bear with me. He, he said that in the course of his working in church life that he invited this guy. He met this guy, and he invited this guy to come to know the Lord and then to church. And in this process, this guy is real rough, and, and the guy comes to faith, and the guy comes to church, and he's trying to figure church out, and he's never been there before. And so he's like, and then he comes in, he, he meets this man, and he's like, hey, 
you know, I'm so glad I'm here. And he's like, I'm so glad you're here. And he says, he says, I want to introduce you to some people. And so he starts showing them around and telling them who people are. And he's like, this is one of our deacons. And he kind of sits up at the front. He says, oh man, so he's an important person in the church. He sits up at the front. And so he's thinking that people that are more important sit closer to the front of the church. And then he gets up and he preaches this message and the guy is listening to him and he's like, you need to go out and you need to tell two or three people to come to church with you. And so the guy the next week is like dragging people behind him from the streets into the church and he's like, these three homeless guys were just down the road and they weren't doing anything this morning and I told them they had to come to church because you said so in your last sermon. Some of you got real uncomfortable. And he's like, and I he drug those guys right up to the front of the church and they sat there and they listened to the message and one or more of them got saved and it was this whole crazy conversation. He's like, but after several weeks of this guy doing this kind of thing, listening to what the preacher said and just doing everything the preacher said, he'd seen some of the deacons out in the community. He's like, I've seen how some of you guys live. You need to move back a couple rows. You shouldn't be up at the front. And it's amazing how the world can assess us immediately and see that maybe we're not the real deal. The story here that we begin to see is that these individuals that are coming to Jesus are coming to Jesus because of the testimony of others. But once they get to know Jesus, that's the real thing. So each and every one of us needs to hear from Jesus ourselves. We all need that peace. You see, you can't save anyone else, but your testimony is indispensable. You are part of this equation. He has involved you on purpose. He has made it this way so that you get to be a part. You are integral to his plan. You are indispensable in his, in his plan. And it is absolutely phenomenal that he still succeeds in spite of us because some of the time, most of the time, all of the time, there's disobedience in some of us. And he's still succeeding because people are still hearing him in spite of us. And there's this beautiful, beautiful picture. I like what it says here, and I really want you to kind of get this picture with me, and I want you to see this, right? There's this moment where it says this of Jesus. That they were so excited to see him that they invited him to stay with them for a few days. Wow. Right? I mean, look with me. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. I got to talk about something that I think is really important and unravel something that I think is really dangerous in church life. Sometimes we want to go to Jesus' house. And that's church. Where we leave our house at the house and we come here to his house and we call this his house and we come here and we're with him. And we get all, all ready for that and shaved and cleaned up and, and, and we come. We come and, and here we want you to come just as you are. There's no need to, to put on airs. We just want you to come as you are. But, but still there's an attitude about when we get there, we, we don't talk a certain way and we don't act a certain way. We, we're at church right? And that's great, man. As a pastor, that's great. Do that every Sunday. Because like I said, when you invite somebody to church, the first rule is, is make sure you invite them to the Sunday you're going to be there. But isn't there a dramatic difference in wanting to go and see where Jesus is at and asking Jesus to stay with you? You see, we want to abide with Jesus when it's convenient and comfortable. But when we invite him into our lives to abide with us at our house, to live with us and us to live with him, 
That's a little different, right? Michael Jr. is a famous comedian and a believer, and he talks about this in the terminology of that, that most people, once they get to a certain place in life, like to have a front room. Anybody in here have a front room? And you say, what, what is a front room, brother? In? Well, that's the room that you kind of keep straight so that when somebody knocks on the door, you can invite them in and they don't see the back room. We're really bad about this. Hey, Jesus, come to my house and let's see the front room. And Jesus is like a couple minutes in the visit and he gets up and kind of starts wandering through the house. He's like, but I want to see all the rooms. And you're like, but Jesus, I prepared the front room for you. He's like, all the rooms or none of the rooms. You see, there's a moment in our lives where there's a part we want God to see about us. But there's maybe a part of God that we don't want to see. It's really, I love this passage because it says that they were so inside, excited about Jesus already knowing about all their back rooms. Because that's what she told them, isn't it? He told me everything I ever did. She has declared that he is going to know about all the parts of your house, your spiritual house, that are, are the closed up closets and the underneath the beds and the, and the things that you're hiding out of you that you don't want people to see. All the past trauma and history that you don't want to talk about are there. And Jesus is like, I know all that stuff. So you don't have to be afraid to invite me in. But we still put on these pretenses about church where we're like, the front room. We like the front room, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. I know about the back room. And I know about the stuff. And that's what makes me so exciting. Because watch, watch what happens next. Verse 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. What a testimony. Now we believe. And then they, they turn it here so that we understand the magnitude of the truth in Scripture. Not because of what you said. Remember I said your testimony matters, right? And it's indispensable and it's part of the plan, right? But it's not the salvation. The salvation is knowing Jesus. We see this part, it says, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And there's this beautiful picture of, yes, we were introduced into this by somebody. I just, I dare you. I one time had this question and it kind of rolls around and I get these, my brain works weirdly and so sometimes people are like, I never thought about it that way and I was like, I don't know how to explain it but, you know, as a kid's movie I once watched, it's kind of like onions, there's lots of layers. You get into my brain, you're like, I don't, man, you're so strange. But I'm like, I just think about things differently. But you realize that if you really look at the story of the scripture, you know that when Jesus invested in the disciples, that he initially invested in a small group of guys. One of them decided to betray him and go do something else, and the 11 carried the message on. Most of them died martyrs' deaths. One was exiled. You see this picture of them. But if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty and you want to be that person that likes to count things and sort the puzzle out like I like to sort the puzzle out, I know some of the staff members know that already they're like, this guy is unhinged. There was a box of keys sitting in my office when I got here, and I was sorting them out. I was matching them up. Like, I'm just that guy. I want to fit all the things together. I want to make sense of them. And they're like, you're insane. And I'm like, yes, I'm insane. Anyway, back to the thing here. If you really wanted to sort it out, you probably could find a spiritual lineage where somebody told you, 
And in mind, my sister, she's part of my story. She told me to come to church. But then somebody told her. And then somebody told that person. And you could follow it all the way back. And if you really do the math, like the puzzle problem that I want to be, you, got, you probably could follow it all the way back to the disciples. In fact, I know you could. Because that's how it works. And there's an unbroken chain all the way back to one or more of them. And you're like, wow, I get to be part of that legacy. And not one of those people is powerful enough to save you. But every one of them were important in the process. And the message got to you because you're part of a legacy of believers that goes all the way back to the, to the victories and the failures and all the parts. And it goes all the way back to Jesus talking to a small group of people. And it invests in them in such a way that they spread it out to the whole world. What a narrative. I would love to just be able to go to heaven when I die and just be like, I want to follow it all the way back. Let's follow it back. And I think that we miss that importance, that Jesus is working through each and every one of us to invite us into this place so that people can meet him. The Savior of the world has used a network of believers. He has used churches like our church and will continue to do so, so long as we're faithful. And it starts with us saying, hey man, I want to help out in a connect room. I want to be part of a connect group. I want to, I want to look at what a, a leader's doing and I want to be an understudy. I want to ride on the vans with people who are already riding on vans and find out what they do so that I can help. I want to stand at the front and just watch the person that's handing out the, the bulletin cards and, and, and what, greeting people at the church. And man, I want to show up in the kitchen and just be like, how can you use me? Why? Because I want to be part of that legacy that tells the world that Jesus is the Savior. And it doesn't have to be knocking on somebody's door because that scares some of us to death. Now, some of you are like, tell me where to knock, and I'll go knock. Don't worry, we'll, we'll work on that. And some of you are like, tell me where to serve, and I'll make my testimony big there. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what do we get to say? We get to say, we now believe. I believe in Jesus because of people in my history that invited me. What about you? Don't you want to be part of somebody's story? You know, the, the really cool part is, is that the really neat part for me is, is that the number of people that will come to Jesus, they won't even remember maybe that I was even part of their story, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to grandstand or have the glory of that. But it's really cool that I still get to be a part of it. The really cool part is that if I can point as many people at Jesus as I can, that maybe one day I'll forget how many people I did it for, and they'll say, it was you, and I'll say, I don't remember that, and they'll say, but it was, and I'll be like, that's awesome. How is your relationship with Jesus? And, and I want to know what it is that we're doing, each and every one of us. Our testimony that's pointing people to Jesus for the many and for the many more. For the many that will come immediately and for the many more that will come because once he gets into the lives of the many, then more will come.